the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. You're joined with, uh, with myself, Alec Perry and Malcolm McDonald. And we are here this afternoon discussing virtual fencing. Malcolm, would you like to say hello? Hello. Good stuff. Malcolm, do you, uh, so we're here this afternoon to discuss uh, virtual fencing. Do you want to give us an overview of, uh, of, of where you're from, the, the office that you're working in, and your kind of role as a, a mm-hmm. consultant? Yep, I can do. Yep. Well, my name is Malcolm McDonald, and uh, I'm based in the, well, it used to be the SAC Inverness office. We're currently now on the Black Isle, which suits me fine because I live in the Black Isle as well. Um, I'm from a kind of crofting background, and I've been a consultant, uh, just a general farm consultant in Inverness now for about um, coming up in five years. So I deal with just a lot of a lot of different things, uh, general farmer queries, project work, and the likes of IACs and EECs and schemes as well. A, a, a real mix of uh, traditional upland farms and then presumably you've got uh, a, a kind of sizable chunk of, of arable ground and, and some reasonably improved ground as well. Yeah, we do. We've got a real range, to be honest. I mean, our, our kind of patch stretches from, well, halfway down the A9 until you get closer to Perth, really, um, and then across to kind of Nairnshire, almost out to Forest, some for clients, and then right across the West Coast and the other side. So we really encompass, you know, some of the good, good arable ground in the Black Isle and Easter Ross and the like. And then we've got, you know, all the hills in between, essentially, which encompasses another, you know, large, large area of upland and hill farms and estates as well, of course. So there's, there's a, a massive range to be honest a big range good well let, let's get into it malcolm for for those who who may be listening you and i worked together for for a number of years i don't remember virtual fencing being very high on the on the radar when we worked together what's the kind of source of the interest in this and is it applicable to scotland well, yeah, I, I think it is. I certainly think it is. I think it could be used anywhere almost in in, a, in different kind of situations as well. Um, when we did work together, kind of the interest started off. I had a couple of phone calls from from kind of clients and and people who weren't necessarily clients, just interested to hear if SRUC or SAC had, had done any research into virtual fencing, which had been done some kind of preliminary. Small trials have been done at Kirkton at the the research farm there, but we hadn't gone much further with it than that. So that's kind of what kicked off my interest in it too. Um, was these kind of initial phone calls from a handful of folk in our kind of in our patch in our area. And then I didn't think about it too much again until I saw this opportunity for to set up a risk group. And I kind of thought they were looking for, you know, innovative ideas and stuff like that. And I kind of thought with the few inquiries I had, I had the beginnings of a good farmer group to get together and, and, and look at it, you know. Malcolm, when I think of virtual fencing, you know, in my head, I get pictures of the outback in Australia or some mountain range in, in Canada um, or the American West. I don't immediately think of Scotland. Is that fair? Up to a point, to be honest, it boils down to, you know, extensive grazing and, you know, difficult landscapes and the challenges that come with fencing and controlling grazing in those landscapes. And it doesn't really matter whether that's the Midwest in America or maybe not Midwest, but maybe some of these real what they call rangeland areas where, it's you know, it's an extensive dry, almost desert where you've got, you know, grazing beef cattle on a large, large areas. I mean... 
equally that could be a large rangeland kind of desert type situation or or an outback situation that's all kind of similar or it could be a, a hill in scotland to be honest i mean we do have a slightly smaller scale than some of those areas but again like some of the folk in the risk group it's it, they are grazing and managing, you know, large, large unfenced areas. And that, that's the challenge they've got, which hopefully virtual fencing can help them control that and monitor it as, as well. And really, you know, get the best out of the grazing while also being sensitive to some of those habitats. Malcolm, for, for those who are listening, give us a, an explanation of, of what actually constitutes virtual fencing um, and, and what goes into it. It's um, it's generally just the well. The concept is that you know, virtual fencing is that you have a collar on a cow, which gives them a kind of alert to to make a virtual fence, so that you don't have to have an actual fence there. So generally, this is a, a smallish collar on a on a cow's neck, and using kind of GPS and software, you essentially map out your field or your boundary, and then when they approach it, the collar knows that they're approaching the collar, and they give the it gives the cows initially a. Uh, a kind of a noise, a buzzing noise or a ticking noise, something to that effect, which gets louder and louder until eventually if they cross the threshold or get near the threshold, then they'll get an electric pulse to deter them. That is the kind of the fundamentals of virtual fencing, to be honest. You've mentioned cattle there. Is it also applicable to, to sheep then, presumably? Yeah, yeah, it certainly can be. There's a few, a couple of challenges with sheep is that one, wool's quite a good insulator. Um, so the electric pulse isn't as effective with them, especially because it's hanging around their neck. And generally, sheep's necks are quite wooly, so you're not getting so much skin contact, which makes it slightly more difficult. Another thing is that, you know, the collar which goes in a sheep would be very, very similar to the collar that goes in a cow. And your sheep's maybe worth, say, £100, just ballpark figures, and your cow's worth £1,000. Or the output from the sheep might be 100 or, or even less in a hill context. And the output from the beef cow, you'd hope, would be kind of, you know, £700-ish. So you're kinda, your investment on the cow should be hopefully paid back quicker than the sheep. Mm-hmm. And if you have a, you know, if you have a 1,000 sheep, it's going to be very expensive to put collars on a 1,000 on sheep, whereas, you know, 100 to 200 cows is a bit more feasible right now i mean of course technology might get cheaper and it might become you know more feasible for sheep but right now when it's still a very early technology i think cows is where uh, is where it's going to be most useful and where are we in terms of development of this technology in this country well in this country not too much well this was the whole point in the risk group because there's a lot of kind of a lot of companies kind of came and went and there's a lot of companies which were trying to or said they're very close to getting something you know commercially available so i thought setting up the group would give us a chance to really put some time into it and find out what's out there so in this country there's no companies essentially the nearest one the nearest one is no fence through a norwegian company who we've been dealing with most of all but i'll quickly say as well there's um there's the e-shepherd which is an Australian company, Edersons, which if you've been looking on YouTube and Google and things, might be one of the ones you've seen seen first. Quite a bulky collar with quite big solar panels on the back of it, uh, which they've been trialing for several years now in Australia. But they're not quite commercially available yet. I think they're getting very close to it, but they're not quite there either. There's also, just to give a quick overview, there's also been a lot of kind of development in the dairy world for virtual fencing, most notably a New Zealand company called Halter, who they are really only looking at dairy cows. So they're, I think they're trying to wrap up virtual fencing with kind of, you know, automatic heat detection and automatic kind of, you know, cow monitoring systems. Um, mm-hmm. So I we don't know, but the feeling we've get feeling we're getting from what we've heard about Halter is that it's it's going under undergoing extensive trialing in New Zealand right now. But I think 
it's going to be at a higher price range. They're really going for the dairy market as opposed to the beef. So it's probably going to be quite expensive. Um, which if you keep in mind, somebody said earlier this week, they're saying, you know, the, the dairy cow has got an output of about £30,000 a year, whereas your beef cow in a hill setting is most likely £1,000 if, if you're lucky, to be honest. So for them, I think there's other companies as well looking at the dairy market too. There's a lot more money to be made, I think, in the dairy market. So I think like it's very exciting stuff, the halter stuff too. They're probably looking to essentially automate the whole process of bringing cows into the parlour. That's going one step again, which would be virtual fencing plus a bit of virtual herding, I think. As in you flick the switch and the fence starts to move and uh, just brings them back out onto the track and then into the parlour, you know. So it's uh, pretty exciting stuff too. Eliminates um, the need for a quad bike. It does, yeah. Probably eliminates the need for the man on the quad bike too, which is the, <laughs> the mad thing too. Uh, so that's really ambitious and exciting stuff too. But I think I think those dairy-based ones are going to be outside the kind of price bracket of beef cattle right now. Malcolm, who who is in the group right now? I mean, obviously, I'm not I'm not looking for names, but what kind of businesses are within the risk group that you're operating with now? Well, it's, it's quite varied. There's uh, six, seven members uh, or farms and crofts in, in the group. So we've got uh, one crofter, I think. We've got a handful of farmers, kind of not not large, large kind of meat. I would call them medium-sized kind of upland and hill settings. We've got one member who's got a very large area of, of moor and hill to graze, which is essentially completely unfenced. So it's, you know, in quite a good position that it's potentially that's the most useful uh kind of application for the for the callers when you've got very little infrastructure at all you know um so a good mix or some are some are good upland ground i would say almost you know quite a lot of plowable usable ground i think they're most likely to try and use collars and i kind of almost a do a rotational grazing setup so there's a really good mix to be honest of so some are quite steep hilly ground as well there's just a a good mix of size and scale and land types as well it's uh yeah it's quite good so it's not a large group though seven seven people who've been there uh, or seven farms and crofts involved and what what are the kind of next stages for the group then where do you see this going well, right, right now we've um, we kind of pulled the group together and we, you know, approached. If I would say it's myself involved, I'm facilitating the group, and also my colleague Tony Waterhouse, who's a researcher at Kirkton as well, an SRUC researcher. So I've been facilitating the group and um, fair a bit of contact with some of the companies. But Tony's been spending quite a lot of time. You know, he's got a lot of contacts in the research kind of industry and academia and he's been talking to the two different companies as well initially it was a bit slow until we really got good contact with no fence because they're at that stage now they are looking to be selling commercially and they are selling uh, collars commercially in norway right now Um, and they were looking for a a kind of an entry into the uk market i suppose um so no offense we're hoping to be launching kind of commercially in the uk this year but because of kind of coronavirus you know um setbacks with manufacturing and stuff like that they've kind of been kind of pushed back a little so as part of the group we've managed to kind of get access to the or get kind of pre-commercial access to the to the collars so the, the the orders have been placed and the individual farmer should be receiving collars quite soon in the next couple of weeks 
again, things have been slowed down, you know, because of coronavirus quite a lot, to be honest. If everything had gone to plan at this stage, we would have callers on the ground, hopefully, and be able to discuss how they're working. So, yeah, that's been the main result of the risk group is getting getting no fence callers into the UK ahead of the commercial release for the farmers to uh, trial uh, in their own way on a on a kind of small scale. And also with all the different farmers, we've been able we'll be able to try out the callers and just a range of different circumstances too, which will be which will be really good. You mentioned that um, there are solar panels attached to these collars, Malcolm. How mm. resilient are they to the Scottish weather? It has been a concern, particularly for a couple of members of the group with uh, rivers running through some of their grazings. Yeah, they're uh, no fans are pretty pretty confident that they uh, they should be okay to be even submerged up to say a meter or something in water. That shouldn't be an issue. Um, they also they were saying they had collars on cows which were fed in ring feeders. That was a concern as well. You know, obviously if cows are grazing, they're not they won't be bashing their necks on match at all. But if you're you know you know, tipping a silage bale into your cows every week and they're battering these collars off the off the ring feeder, you might worry. But I think they're pretty robust. I think they are. So hopefully, again, in a couple of weeks, we should be able to get our hands on them and see what they're like. But they, they are certainly very confident in their product. Good. And uh, Malcolm, you talked a little bit about their the ability to, to control the, the, the range that, uh, that these cattle have. Could this technology also be used in other ways? What, what I'm thinking is, could you use the the collar technology to pinpoint the location of say a missing cow on a hill oh, yeah. is there a tie in there oh yeah definitely yeah yeah um i mean it's because because they they have to be tracking the cows all the time you know you could even if one cow's not moving you can just open your phone and you'll be able to see that it's been sitting in the same place for you know a day or two days and go out and check it i mean that might not mean the cow's dead of course it might just mean the collar's fallen off or something and if if the collar stops it breaks down or something you'll get an alert as well i mean again once we see the the interface we'll be able to say a bit more but from what we've seen from the demos we've seen you know through virtual meetings with no fence it looks very looks like you're getting quite a lot of information along with your virtual fencing just on that note as well the part of the risk group the full title was uh, virtual fencing and real-time tracking and, and hill cows um, so we, there's a few companies that are doing just tracking collars, which aren't virtual fencing, which are significantly cheaper than the virtual fencing, as, as you'd expect. But the, the kind of route the group has gone down right now, since since there's the opportunity to get the virtual fencing collars, we've really kind of gone for that. So I think we'll we'll spend a bit more time looking into tracking collars quite soon too, because they could be a real benefit as well, especially on big extensive areas. If you can just know where your cows are and know if one's, you know, stopped moving or something or get an alert if a cow's slowing down and stuff like that. If you can turn it into or if you can get a product which is kind of real time tracking and also livestock health monitoring, that could be, you know, really valuable as well. Yep. So in in terms of benefits for the, the the farmed upland environment, what are we what are we kind of looking at here? I I listen to you and I I see potential there, or I I hear potential there for much more control over over grazing regimes on the hill. Um, mm-hmm. Now we, we spoke to, to to Robert Ramsey as I mentioned. We've also spoken to, to Daniel Stout about sheep upland grazing strategies. Mm-hmm. What potential is there to to optimise grazing on on the hill using this? 
Well, if you let your imagination, you know, run wild a bit, it could be really, really valuable. You could essentially take your kind of the principles of rotational grazing and apply it to large, large areas of upland. Obviously, it wouldn't be as intense as as in low ground, but I mean, say in an ideal world, if the if the collars work very well for a, a bit of kind of a small bit of virtual fencing, you could just have a very on a large scale, a very slow creeping back fence and creeping forward fence is, is what I imagine. I don't know if the software behind some of the collars is up to that yet or something which can be looked at. And, you know, that's a jump ahead again, but it's something which could be done. If you've got just like a nice big hill area, which is, you know, growing on, if you can just move the cattle very slowly across it and graze down as hard as you want to, I suppose, what's there, and just move them across it one half of the summer and then move them back across it the other half of the summer, I think that could be really valuable, really valuable. And then if you've got sensitive habitats within that as well, you know, whether it's bogs or even dangerous habitat, bogs and gullies and things like that, if you you could just fence them off just with, a, you know, just on your phone, essentially fence them off and move the cows around them. You know, there's a lot a lot of benefits there from for an environmental aspect as in avoiding sensitive habitats or, or grazing them just a little and then moving them off. Um, and also from the kind of animal welfare aspect of avoiding steep or wet areas as well, um, which I know is a big concern for some pill farmers too. Definitely. Malcolm, when uh, you, you discussed some of the software a little bit ago, what kind of cost, g- give me a, a, a kind of cost range for a farmer who might be listening to this that's thinking, do you know, this sounds quite good, but but what kind of costs are associated with it? Well, you can go on the, on the No Fence website, that all their costs are there, which is, which is quite useful. There's no secret of that. The no, no Fence have all their prices on their website. And right now, they're selling the cattle collars for £269 before VAT. And then there's bits, chargers and things like that to go with that. But that's, you know, that's, that's the main price is 269 for the collar. You've then got running costs associated with that because it's uh they're essentially using like your mobile phone GPS. So there there is a kind of network um upkeep figure associated with that of course. And there's a whole calc there for that. The more collars you have, the cheaper that is as well. Um so I think I last time worked out it was about you'd look at maybe thirty, thirty five pound running costs to for a year to go with your collar. So it is right now. I mean, there's no two ways about it. That is quite a lot of money, especially we both know what the margins are like in hill cows. It's 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 nothing exciting, and that would go off with a lot of it. Another unknowns right now is how long does that collar going to last? If that collar lasts 10, you know, 15 years, that's something you can work with. But if there's going to be issues with it and it only lasts five years, then it's more expensive. These are all unknowns right now because it's such a new technology. And like I say, no offense, really, the only ones who've got that so far in the UK have got something which is almost or already for market. So, of course, once you start to get a bit of competition into this kind of technology, I'm sure the price will drop quite quickly. But it's not a simple stuff. It is, it is quite complicated. So um, we're still a little bit off, I think. Too much competition right now. Um, certainly until um, the eShepherd will get on the market. Because I'm sure it will be on the market soon. But how soon? Who knows? So that's the kind of money That's the kind of money we're looking at. Does that sound expensive to you, Alec? Yeah, yeah, I, I take your point with 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 beef margins in particular. Um, mm-hmm. pre- presumably as well, as the technology continues to develop, you know, we'll we'll be able to to find cost savings in there. Yeah, I, I think in the long term, I'm I'm not uh, not too concerned about it. Whether or not the the pandemic 
and the the beef price will uh, leave us with many cows on the hill. Uh, we've uh, we've still to to see, but uh, but know that this this is interesting stuff. Do you know? Normally, towards the end of the podcast, I would ask my speaker whether or not there's anything within the industry right now that they think that we should be paying attention to, mm. and I'm I'm at a loss because I can't really ask you that because <laughs> I do feel like this is the innovative thing. Uh, that that we're right on the cusp of. What what kind of timescale do you think we've got before this is mainstream in the UK? Mainstream, mainstream's a big word. Well, I think right now, initially, it's going to be people who maybe like one of the risk group farmers who's got a large area with no infrastructure. Can and some of the discussion we've had as the risk group, it's a bit less attractive for some of the more established farmers because essentially they've got electric fencing and they've got a well fenced farm and, and they kind of that's all in place. So but if you're going on to, you know, a, a blank hill with nothing there, that's when this could be cost effective for you. The other kind of entry point, I suppose, would be conservation grazing initially. You know, people mm-hmm. who've maybe got an agreement with SNH or, or RSPB or these kind of bodies to maybe help meet some of the cost of, of these collars. Or, or they say, you know, for the, for the cows are really doing a job as well for conservation and there's a bit more than just market economics in it. That That's where we'll start to see. It. And I, I think in England as well, there's quite a lot of kind of conservation bodies and stuff like that are also trialing no fence scholars, you know, if not now shortly. So that that, that is often the entry for... For new technology, I'm not. You've probably heard, or you've maybe seen on, you know, country farm land where there, there's another virtual fencing kind of technology which relied on buried cable. You may have heard of that. It's been used for grazing sensitive habitats for maybe up to ten years now in places, but it's just not quite as adaptable and kind of useful as a real GPS-based collar. So that's kind of well established that it can be used for these kind of habitats. So, I mean, realistically, I mean, it's been, it has been on the go for a long time, virtual fencing, the idea of it, and like in trials and stuff, it's all been, uh, it's been floating about for a long time. And and, uh, I think Tony at the start of this group, he said to me, it's been uh, five years away for 10 years now. So it's it's one of these (laughs) things of... (laughs) I felt like it was almost on the cusp of getting there uh, for a long time, but I think I think I, th- I think it really is now. So I mean, before that's mainstream, ten, fifteen years. These are all just kind of crystal crystal ball figures, but there might be more. That we might see it more so in the dairy industry first, because it's you know a, a kind of a higher output industry. They can cope with the kind of the kind of cost of these things initially. A dairy farm might look at that two six nine a cow and think, oh, that's you know that's that's fine. I, I do think coming from a dairy background, I see huge potential in there for the dairy industry. And, and I think you're right. Generally, the, the dairy industry is a bit more financially robust just by virtue of the, their methods of production and income could maybe could maybe stomach this technology and presumably that the high upfront costs. So, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see it come out in the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. The the other thing is, I mean, my risk group was looking at you know virtual um, hill cows specifically because I thought it's kind of I think there's a real application for it there, and I thought uh, you know kind of needs a bit of attention and it, and it needs something to help to some extent. But maybe kind of intensive rotational grazing use might be where we see it come in too, because you know a, a low ground kind of beef unit would have a I, I would say a fraction more margin than than the hill the hill place might as well. So it would um, so it might find more use. For to you know it might be some time before it reaches the hill market or hill cow situation 
This uh, this solar panel, I, I know we talked about weather uh, and uh, the impacts weather could have on it. it oh. Is the, the idea that the solar panel itself will be able to power these collars? Or you mentioned a battery there. Is there yeah. also a battery that goes with it? Yeah, there's a battery and, and um, you can buy spare batteries too. But uh, so far, what they've been, certainly the kind of Norwegian data is, and Norway will have a, a, a slightly longer summer day than us, for instance. Um, the, once the, the so they beefed up the solar panels too, I think, between in the last couple of years as well. And once those colors were on, starting them off with even like half charge, the solar panels pretty much kept them at charge and even charged a little during the longest kind of the long summer days. Our only concern there is, which is part of what the group will discover is as we go into the autumn and into the and even into the winter a lot of the farmers are keeping cows out in the hill for quite a long time and that's when you're getting down to quite a short day length so so how well the battery will last for the shorter day length is a is a is another concern but it's something we'll just have to see as we get into it but no they're pretty good and you know about battery technology is, is getting better all the time like so it's uh it seems pretty positive pretty positive that you you shouldn't have it looks like you shouldn't have to be changing batteries within the season and if you okay. have to that that would be a, a big hassle i think for a lot of people but it looks like that's not going to be the case but yeah that's something to discover virtual fencing you you touched on it earlier is there a potential for businesses to cut their uh, their labor costs then uh, we kind of joked about the the need for a, a quad bike uh, <laughs> and even the, the the person on the quad bike could, could this I, be financially beneficial for businesses then i i think it could be initially there'll be the opportunity to you know cut your fencing costs i think um because i mean you know big stretches of fences you know actual physical fences are expensive to put in i mean if you're frequently people will spend tens of thousands of pounds on fences and if you and if you look at that the collars look expensive but if you add up what you spent on fences over the last 20 years it might not be that far off a hundred pound or a couple hundred pound a cow anyway um so initially the fencing i think but yeah the labor too and that's part of what i thought for some of these really large extensive areas or even some of the common grazings and things and sky and, and those kind of places it can be a full a full day or a couple of days job for like two or three or even four people to go and gather cows off these kind of areas so if you can do that that's why i think the real-time tracking if, if that can be done and it looks like that might be able to be done for as cheap as 50 pound a cow maybe or something to that effect if you just knew exactly where your cows are that's quite an advantage there you know but then again if you can use the virtual fencing to uh, as a virtual herding tool and just start and start to gather them slowly back into the steading over the you know even if that's over days if all you have to do is open an app on your phone and do it that is a real labor saving device definitely yeah definitely. yeah i i asked you about sheep a little while later on and, and maybe the technology will come to sheep do you think that there's any room for this technology's use in in the deer industry i don't know so much about deer for one thing anyway there may be I would be a lot more wary of it, knowing how flighty deer are, obviously, compared to cattle. I think they might be quicker to get distressed if they don't realise what go, what's going on, if you know what I mean. Okay. I mean, the, cow, the cows and sheep are, you know, by their kind of nature, more docile than deer are anyway. Anyway, it would be a, a brave person to, to use a virtual fence collar over a deer fence to keep their deer in initially, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, just a thought, just a thought. Yeah, um, yeah, curious yeah. To, to see what you thought. Malcolm, do you see any scope for Scottish government to incorporate virtual fencing into some kind of capital grant down the line? Is it something that Scottish government should be pushing for farmers to, to pick up as a technology use? 
Yeah, I, I think they should. I mean, out the the ache scheme, the agri-environmental climate scheme, there's a lot of fencing as part of that, uses that budget. And absolutely, it needs to be to, to, to manage habitats effectively. But if they could take some of that money and proportion it to things like this, virtual fencing and stuff like that, I, I think it, it, it'd be a, a really valuable use of money effectively. Because the thing is, not only do you, not only do you get the fencing, you also get the monitoring too. So it can provide a lot of data on, 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 you know, how cows are grazing and stuff as well, which is quite valuable from a conservation perspective. Right now, when it's still quite an early technology, you know, they might struggle to set a reasonable rate for what they think it should be or what's practical. So it's, um, yeah, I'd, I'd really hope they would look at it, but I realise there's maybe still a few a few hurdles to be kind of covered in that respect. But the likes of, I think, maybe S&H on a case-by-case basis and other bodies like that who've got a bit more, don't require such a broad brush approach uh, to the whole country, they can maybe look at things on case-by-case basis uh, sooner than that, hopefully. Uh, so, Malcolm, you mentioned at the start there that you were involved in our risk group. Do you want to just give the listeners an overview of what RIS is and what you're hoping to achieve with it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, RIS stands for Rural Innovation Support Service. So it's um, it's about getting farmers together to kind of, you know, it's not about any big research projects, but just getting groups of farmers who are keen to try new things, whether that's new technology or, or new ideas, and give them the support to, to, to make it happen. Essentially, I mean, it kind of started off when I had these few, few inquiries from people who were interested in virtual fencing, and I kind of realized I didn't really know what was out there. And you know, when they were asking me what's been trialed, is there, is there stuff around? I didn't really know, so I thought it'd just be really useful to get a group of interested farmers, and I contacted another few folk who I thought would be interested, and we got the group together, and essentially it kind of gives a bit of time for me to facilitate it and um, run the group, and, and for Tony as well, a researcher, to, uh, you know, really contact the companies and use his contacts and his uh, experience to um, to really pull these kind of contact all these companies who are, you know, they're not really advertising, but just get get a real feel for what technology is there and what could be accessed by the farmers. And um, I think we've managed to get a bit more access than the farmers would have certainly would have had by themselves as individuals and a bit more kind of negotiating power too. Like, so it's, um, I think it's been a real benefit to, to those involved. So, yeah. Good, good. And when did you kick off your risk group? Um, well, it kicked off be a little over a year ago now. Really kicked off. The, the idea was floating around for quite a long time, but it was kind of it'd be around yeah middle of summer last year when we really started to get the group together and start getting people signed up. Well, rather autumn, sorry, autumn. We really got the group together and started getting moving with it. Um, and then we had the first kind of back then, of course, in-person meeting in December when we got everybody everybody together and talked about you know, what they wanted. Initially, that was, were they really interested in virtual fencing? Did they think real-time tracking was useful? And get a real kind of farming craft review point of what of what these technologies or what ones could be useful to them. Um, so it was, uh, so that was December. And then we've had, since then, we've had um, just virtual meetings, just uh, online meetings, because um, that's what we've been limited to. But it's, it's worked out, it's worked fine. I mean, it's worked it's worked fine so far. As You know, by this time, we're hoping to be able to have another meeting once we start to get callers. Uh, on the ground and kind of chat about it, um, which we probably could do outside now um, or even in a shed. Uh, so hopefully, coronavirus um, pending, that should uh, that should be possible in the next few weeks or, or month or so. Um, yeah. And and you would say that you're on the you're on the tail end of the risk project now. Do you see it coming to a close relatively soon? 
Yeah, I think so. I think once we've got colors on the ground and get a feel for, you know, because these are the only ones which are commercially available. So that was, you know, part of the group was see what's there. And, and right now, the only things which are available are the no fence collars. So get an idea of how the farmers think these collars will work, if they think they're practical, if they think they're robust enough. Get a real feel for the technology. And I, I look into uh, real-time tracking too. And um, although when the virtual fencing collars have been there, it's been of less interest to the group. Um, but once they get a feel for what these collars are like and how useful they are, then that'll likely be the end of the group, I think. Um, it'd be good if there's another kind of way of continuing the group, e even informally, um, that'll likely likely continue up to a point. But if there if there's other you know opportunities to keep the group going another way, we'll certainly look at that too. Yeah. Right. Thank you for, for, for joining us, Malcolm. Do you have any kind of closing final thoughts for us before we, we say goodbye? Okay, final thoughts. I just say, I mean, the virtual fencing, it, like I said before, if you let your imagination run wild, the, the potential is, is, is almost uh, is pretty limitless. It could really be a very, very valuable tool when it comes to kind of utilizing hills well and properly and also managing sensitive habitats, which, you know, a lot of moorlands often are as well, uh, managing them effectively and safely without having horrendous amounts of labor involved so it could it could be a, a really really useful tool in the next in the next few years once it's kind of more on the market and and maybe a bit cheaper but equally you know that cost it might be you know if, if it's as good as it can be then that that might be quite a reasonable cost that just kind of remains remains to be seen i think right now but uh, good. yeah a very exciting technology thanks very much for for joining us this afternoon malcolm it's it's been really good to to catch up with you and to have a good chat about this thanks again malcolm i think we'll just uh, we'll just close off um we'll uh we'll, we'll get the next episode out when we can thanks very, very much good. thank you for inviting me thank you alec thank you for listening if you have any questions about what you've heard today you can call the farm advisory service advice line at 0300 323 0161 or email advice at faz.scott.